Tyler. I'm Kelly. And I'm Brandy. And you are listening to the infamous podcast, Bitch, I'm Not Well, where we discuss bitches who are truly unwell. unwell. Of Eileen Wernos, aka Damsel of Death. Stripper name? No. One of these days, you will have one with a stripper name. And then I'll be shocked because. I know. I'm going to have to search now for a podcast with a stripper name. No. Yes. This is just about Eileen. Eileen, 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 Eileen. I'm begging of you, please don't kill my really good thanks <laughs> <laughs> all right eileen Pittman wernos in the span of one year shot and killed seven men claiming all of them had either beaten or raped her and that she shot them in self-defense damn what is eileen was the, busy what is with these women like the very first episode that we did with judith ann neely yeah her reign of terror was one year so Eileen's was in one year as well. Maybe we'll find a serial killer female that lasted more time. than a year. Take your time with it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Eileen. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little background. All right, I'm ready. Eileen Pittman Warnos was born February the 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan. Her parents were Diane Warnos Pittman and Leo Pittman. Diane, at 14, Leo, at 18, were married on June 3rd, 1954, and gave birth to their first child, Keith. Nine months later, on March the 15th, 1955, two months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for divorce from Leo. Seems like a happy marriage. Maybe it was not. I don't know about you, but at 14, I was nervous about putting ramen noodle soup in the microwave and it not catching on fire. I know. I How do you get married at 14? Yeah, I couldn't imagine having a husband. I can't either. And a child later, like right down. Oh, God, no. She shouldn't have her driver's license. She can't even take her kid to the doctor. Well, this was in the 50s, too. Oh, so yeah. Maybe you could get them younger in the 50s. If you're a woman, you probably weren't allowed to drive. This is true. I don't really know. You're not going to vote. And you can't drive. Good luck. <laughs> Stay home. Raise your kids. Pop those babies out. Yes. Be a mom. That would be so great, though, if we could still. God, that really would. So Eileen never met her father. Leo was charged for indecent liberties with an 11-year-old girl in Rochester on June 8th, 1962. Wow. Leo mm. had the thing for prepubescent teens. Prepubescent, yes. Not even a teen. She, he had a thing for children. Which is yes. fucking disgusting. Yes, you're correct. What's that guy say? Hide your kids, hide your mom. Hide your kids, hide your mama. Yeah, him. <laughs> yes. I love that guy. Me too. Love it. <laughs> I don't think he was into older girls because after moving to Wichita, Kansas, he was arrested again and charged with luring, kidnapping, and raping a seven-year-old girl. What? Mm-hmm. I'm speechless. Like, I, know, I can see that. Uh, it was thought that there was another instance, including a nine-year-old girl in Troy, Michigan, but he never fessed up to that. I don't understand men that like babies. Like, like that's disgusting. Little babies. They, they are. I mean, like little seven-year-old, nine-year-old. What's attractive about the, that's I don't know. I don't know. We don't comprehend it. No. So there's obviously a mental illness there. In fact, he was examined by Sanity Commission, and they diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic, and he was committed to the Lawrence State Hospital on April the 3rd, 1963. <sighs> Pedophile and schizophrenic are completely different. I don't know. Are they? I mean, maybe, maybe one of his uh, aliases was just a pedophile so maybe so maybe his alias was a nine-year-old boy oh god oh god who shouldn't even be thinking of this shit mm, no 
Mm-mm. So he escaped the hospital with two other criminally insane inmates. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am so sorry. That is the best. Uh, oh God, like partners in crime. I'm going to escape with two crazy people and you're never going to catch us. Well, they caught him. But <laughs> that's a shocker. <laughs> he escaped with two other criminally insane inmates. Leo was arrested by the FBI in Casnovia, Michigan, on August 23rd, 1963, and sentenced to life in prison at the Kansas State Penitentiary. Leo committed suicide January the 30th, 1969, by hanging himself and is buried at the U.S. Penitentiary Cemetery in Leavenworth, Kansas. Yeah, so Eileen was about 13 years old at this time, but like I said, whenever, I think she divorced him before Diane was even born, so she never knew him. He was a good-looking guy. Diane divorced Leo before Eileen was born. Yes, correct. Okay. Correct. He was a good-looking guy. He He looks really young. He was. She was a nice-looking lady, too, and this is pictures up on the screen, so Mm -hmm. if if you care to Google it, they're out there for you. So it was said that Keith, her older brother, and Eileen were abandoned by Diane when Eileen was only six months old. Oh, my gosh. Diane left them with the babysitter and never returned. Oh, my God. Here's a dollar. I'll be back by nine. I'm just going to get smokes. There's going to be some overtime charged. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, just need to babysit them for a few minutes and then, like, two days later, Mom? (laughs) Yeah. Diane never came back. I don't know what to do. Right. Like. Yes. Lord. So Lori and Britta Wernos, now Lori's uh, her grandfather and Britta is her grandmother, took over uh, the custody for Keith and Eileen. And they legally adopted them on March 18th, 1960, when Eileen was four years old. They never told Keith and Eileen that they were not their parents. What? And Keith and Eileen were raised with their own children. So their grandkids were raised with their kids. Like, oh, gosh. They were their aunt and uncles, but they thought that they were brother and sisters. That's like, that's confusing. And like at the same time, I think, is it is it good? Like you didn't tell them you weren't their parents, so they grew up. No. It's like when they get older and they find out, they're going to be pissed. Yeah, you should never lie to kids. Yeah, don't lie to them. Tell them, hey, look, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. And be honest. Like, why would you lie? The Warnoses were said to be of middle class and seemingly normal to outsiders, but both were severe alcoholics. They probably drank during the day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, Kelly, what does that make us? Eileen found out at this at the age of 12 that her parents were not her real parents, and she did not take the news lightly. She became rebellious and irritable. Oh, man, yeah, 12 is already rough for girls. Like, I remember yeah. my mom saying I was a terrible at 12. I was so moody. Mm-hmm. Couldn't imagine going through, like, puberty and all that and finding out, hey, you're not really my mom and dad. That's correct. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That's a blow. Yeah. That's a hard blow. Also, Eileen claimed to have been verbally, physically, and sexually abused by her father, grandfather, mm. at a very young age. It was also said that she had a brief sexual relationship with her brother, Keith. <laughs> Yeah. Eileen was selling her body for food, cigarettes, and alcohol at school around the age of 12 years old. Oh, my God. I didn't even know what sex was at 12. Oh, my heart hurts. Whole different ballgame there. At the age of 14, Eileen was raped by a family friend. Now, this rape led to a pregnancy, and Eileen gave birth to a boy at home for unwed mothers on March 23, 1971. Mm-hmm. The baby was placed up for adoption, and not much else is known about this. At the ripe old age of 15, she dropped out of school. Her grandmother died of liver failure, and her grandfather threw her out of the fucking house. He sounds like a great person. He's a winner. Got a special place in hell for you. Absolutely. Diane Warnos offered to let Eileen and Keith come live with her in Texas, but they declined as she intended to establish rules and keep order in their household. And I suppose at this point, they were just allowed to, like, roam free, do whatever they want. I mean, Eileen was 
Yeah, it kind of sounds like the grandparents slash parents really didn't care what they did. And, I mean, by the time you're 15, 16 years old, you don't want to go somewhere that's going to be more strict than what you have now. I mean, if you can do whatever the Mm -hmm. hell you want, why are you going to go stay with someone who you don't even know? Yeah, I guess. That's going to make you be in bed for 9 o'clock. Yeah, if you haven't lived a structured life, it's hard to become structured, I think. I agree. So Eileen lived in the woods, supporting herself mostly through prostitution. When she went to her grandmother's funeral, she was caught as a runaway and sentenced to six months in the Adrian's Girl School and was declared a ward of the state until aged 18. Is that still a thing? Can you get arrested for running away? I don't know. That was in the 50s. Yeah. That's like when, oh no, we don't put up with shit. That's crazy. I, I never knew that you could get arrested for running away in the yeah. 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you don't get arrested for even robbing a store, so. (laughs) So you're fine. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Run away. It's probably better for you. (laughs) Eileen refused to stay at this school and made her first attempt at an escape. She made it three miles before she got caught. Her second attempt was successful for about three weeks, and she was captured again and sent back. After the second attempt, her counselor agreed that if she would just behave for 60 motherfucking days, she would release her. So Eileen was on her best behavior, and she was released after the 60 days. Do you think for awards day, they called her up, and they were like, for most determined runaway, <laughs> we have Eileen Warnos. And then they give her a little certificate and shake her hand and yes. smile for pictures. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I'm going to picture it. You, you got goals, bitch. You've almost <laughs> made it twice. Yeah. Almost. Congratulations. <laughs> I think maybe they did. That's fun to think about. That is fun. I hope she got something for awards day. (laughs) Um, On May 27th, 1974, at the age of 18, Eileen was arrested in Colorado for a DUI, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. That sounds like a wild night. (laughs) Man. Oh, my gosh. This poor girl. Yes. She was later charged for failure to appear... So she still couldn't run away. Mm-mm. She, well, she wasn't hanging around for that, so she did run. Oh, good job. Yeah, she hitchhiked her way to Florida. She sold herself for food, rides, beer, etc. That's really sad. So when she got down to Florida in 1976, she was in Daytona Beach, where she met and married wealthy yacht club president, 69-year-old Louis Gratzfell. Wow. Yeah. Moving up in the world. He, yes, Lewis was a big shot. He made his living with railroad stocks. Oh, wow. So he was loaded. He was loaded. And he was the president, like I said, of the yacht club. I mean, you scored big. Yeah. Put your little dress on and go be arm candy. Do your best, Eileen. Smile. That's all you got to do. Really? That's literally all she had to do. And just be sweet. Be nice. But no, that did not happen. So the marriage was extremely short. Lewis stated that Eileen would spend his money and beat him with his cane when he wouldn't give her more. Yes. She was also arrested for hurling a cue ball at a bartender's head back home in Michigan. Oh, my God. Lewis put a restraining order on her and filed for an annulment. Do you think she ripped the cane out of his hand while he was walking? Probably. Oh, my God. And as he fell to the floor, she struck him repeatedly. This bitch is crazy. And he looked like he was such a sweet man. He does. Like, I mean, he had to be nice. Like or, a grandpa. He like, was like so he, cute. He made president. So, I mean, he, he made president. He made president of the yacht club. Of the yacht club. People so. had to like him. I'm pretty sure that's something that gets voted on. So, yes, I agree. I think, <laughs> I think they probably do vote on that. So people had to like him. It's not self-declared. Oh, I'm president <laughs> today. I'm going to start declaring that at work. <laughs> when you... You go. (laughs) All right. Let's get back to Eileen. Yes, Eileen spent the next decade in failed relationships, small-time crime, forgery, theft, armed robbery. She was a self-proclaimed exit-to-exit prostitute, meaning she would get picked up at one exit, try to convince the man to pay her for sex, with him making the proposition, so she never was like, hey, you looking for a good time? Do you want to... So, you want to have some sexuals? So she wouldn't proposition. So like she'd get in and just take off all her clothes and stay right on? No, that's not how she did it. Okay. So she would give this sob story about how she had her two kids. And she'd even show them a 
picture of two children, which weren't hers. God, please say they're out of a magazine and, and had that, writing on the back. Yeah, I don't. Maybe. Or, you know, yeah, like a, like a picture frame, you yes. know, with the two kids in it. That's probably what she had. Um, um, and she would tell him that she needed to make money. And if they offered to pay her for sex, she would partake in the activities. And if not, she would ask to be dropped off at the next exit. Therefore, exit to exit. Okay. Um, I found this really, really cute picture frame at Hobby Lobby. Yeah. And I didn't have a picture Love for Hobby it. Lobby. I do too. And I had it up on my shelf. Oh. And my sister came over and she wanted to know who are those people? Who the people were in the frame. Well, I don't know. I just like the frame. I just like the frame and I didn't have a picture to put in it. And it had been there for a while before I realized that there was no family picture in there. It was yeah. just Hobby Lobby people picture. Yeah. The only the only pictures we get are my kids flipping me off. So <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna put that in a frame. That one I might you- as well keep the unknowns. The one you made of Maddie running from a dinosaur is great. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah, that was uh, Land Land of the Lost with uh, Will Ferrell. I took that off of that. Oh, yeah. And we were in Utah, and she was like pretending like she was running, and I stuck uh, digitally enhanced the photo by placing a T-Rex behind her. It was amazing. It was really good, and she gave it to her for Christmas. That was a really good Christmas present. <laughs> so getting back to the story. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. No, I like, I like when we sidetrack. Um <laughs> In 1986, at the age of 30, she met Tyra Moore, 24 at that time, at a Daytona Beach gay bar, the Zodiac. They began an intense romantic relationship. Although Eileen never considered herself to be gay and had never been with a woman, she was angry and lonely and ready for something new. Well, that just, yeah. That's, yeah, that's That's definitely something something new. new. So Tyra was a motel maid and quit her job to let Eileen, a.k.a. Lee, support her. They lived in cheap motels, and Lee would do her best to keep up with Ty's spending. Ty would blow all the money on clothes for herself at bars and even stuffed animals, while Eileen had one bra held together with a safety pin and a few shirts and jeans, one pair of ratty sneakers. No. Yes. Oh, no. Yes, she was a sugar mama. She sounds like it. You left your sugar daddy to become mm-hmm. a sugar mama, and you ain't got no money. Mm-hmm. And still, Ty expressed her unhappiness with Lee, not being able to fully support her, and she would often threaten to leave Eileen if she didn't prostitute herself out to make more money. Eileen was saving up money to start a pressure cleaning business, but Ty blew through all of it. So Eileen did not really like the the life of prostitution. I guess not. It it sounds like she was trying to better herself and the person that, I don't know if she loved Ty, but she was in a relationship with her and that should have been who was supporting her. And she's like, fuck you. I don't care. I need this teddy bear. Go fuck somebody. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of fucks. (laughs) It just upsets me. Like, she's trying to get on a better path for her life and her her. significant other won't let her. Won't allow it because she's just got to make her happy. They should both be happy. So we're going to go to Richard Mallory. Eileen is 30 years old at this time. She's been prostituting since a very young age. And it was said in the past that she had been raped as, you know, like in her teenage years and kind of starting up this prostitution and all that. She had been raped prior to this, okay? So this story... Is very gruesome. It's very explicit. If you want to skip through, skip through about 15 minutes or so because it's a long one. Oh, wow. But it's horrific. And I believe that it actually happened. Strap in, everybody. Here we go. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Let's go. You're not ready. Probably not. By the age of 30, Eileen was carefully selecting her John's. She was only choosing, like, middle-aged white men because in the past, whenever she'd pick up younger guys, they didn't have any money, you know? It's like, so she was going for the middle-aged white men. I don't know why white, but that's what it was. I don't know. November the 30th, 1989, Richard Mallory pulled over to pick her up. And Richard Mallory was previously charged with attempted rape and had spent 10 years in a mental institution on this charge. Now, she could never have known that. 
you know, because she's in exit to exit. Like, she's just on the interstate hitchhiking. Yes, this is just random. Random. Richard was 51 years old. He owned an electronics repair shop in Clearwater, Florida. He was described as being a violent man who was paranoid, an alcoholic, and a sex addict. Hmm, Great combination. Yep. He frequented strip clubs and often used the services of prostitutes. He was known to close up his shop and disappear for days, so no one even thought about Richard being missing until his car was found by the police. Richard's body was discovered December the 13th, 1989. Oh, wow, almost two weeks later, or two two weeks later. Yes. It's a long time to be missing without yeah. anybody knowing. Yeah, nobody, like... Kelly, if you don't hear from me for two days, please put in a missing person. If report. I don't hear from you in an hour, I'm calling. Yes, do it. <laughs> you can watch Eileen's testimony on Richard Mallory on YouTube titled Eileen Wernos Direct Examination. After watching this, I have to say that I do believe that she experienced every bit of what she was saying. She had no hesitation, no stammering. She had careful thought put in her words. It flowed from her just as if you were telling me any horrific event that actually happened to you. Uh, She was very clear. She was concise. And I could visibly see that it affected her. She got, like, really antsy, nervous, and, you know, fidgety. And she was, like, she didn't want to go there in her mind. Like, that headspace was not a good place for her, and you could tell. That's really sad because it sounds like she really never had a chance at life. She never had a chance to succeed. She never had anybody who just loved her for being her. Right. She didn't get to be a child. No, she really didn't. She had just nothing but negative in her life. So That's sad. I'm kind of hoping that her grandmother was good to her. Yeah. Maybe she had some kind of love. To be prostituting for more than 21 years without anything more than petty crimes... To go to killing seven men in the period of a year right after this event tells me that a switch was flipped. And I know that there are a lot of different opinions out there. This is my opinion. Yeah. She also never expressed any desires to kill any men. Or, you know, she was just kind of doing it because she needed the money. And that's why. And she hated doing it. But she was trying to get into a different area of her life, like start a new business or trying to, you know, at least trying to think of some things that she could get out of it, you know? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. So according to Eileen's testimony, she was done for the night. She was exhausted. She had enough money and was just looking for a ride to get back home to Daytona. Richard Mallory pulled over. She told him she was headed to Daytona and he told her he could get her there. After picking her up, he discussed having trouble with his lady and his financial woes, and he was on the verge of bankruptcy. He told her she gave really good advice and asked if she minded if they just pulled over to talk that he needed to talk to someone. She said it was late and she really wanted to get home, but he kept on her and she eventually agreed. He drove her to a secluded area and they talked for an hour or more and it came out that she was a sex worker. I mean... You don't know me. I guess it's kind of like the drunk guy at the bar that mm-hmm. tells their sob story to the bartender and the bartender yes. gives great advice. Like, she was tired. I'm sure she had had a long day. She doesn't want to hear his problems. She doesn't want to get his rocks off. She wants to go home. Right. You're right. But then he did ask her for her services, and she agreed. Did you say double? I would have. I totally would have. This is overtime. Yeah. So he told her that he had to get condoms and a sleeping bag and a blanket out of the trunk. She laid the sleeping bag over the front seat and started undressing, but he wasn't taking his clothes off. She was tired. She was cold and naked and just wanted to get it over with. And he asked her, what if I don't have enough money? Oh, yeah. Now's the time to say that. Mm -hmm. So she said, how much do you have? And he stated that he only had enough for breakfast and a little gas. She said they would have to call it off. Well, that's not getting you to because, start, baby. Yeah, he is not having no sexuals for free. Mm-mm. No, thank you. If I'm working, you're paying. That's right. So she turned to reach for her clothes in the back seat. This is when he wrapped a cord around her neck and told her that she was going to do everything he told her to do or he would kill her and fuck her after and that her body would still be warm for his huge cock. Now, oh, wow. Bleepity bleep bleep. That's 
If you had to call it huge, it's probably, probably tiny. tiny. <laughs> probably little. You don't have to brag on yourself mm-hmm. if there's actually something to brag on. Mm-hmm. So Continue. he tied her hands to the steering wheel. He made her lay on her back across the front seat with her legs at the passenger side door. He told her to get comfortable because he was going to see how much meat he could pound in her ass. Oh, my God. No wonder this bitch flipped. Like, I would have yeah. fucking flipped out. Yeah. I'm like, do not go near the boo-boo hole. Uh, that is, uh, that's a no to the hell no. And tying me to the steering wheel, that is not my my idea of foreplay. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. So he walks around to the passenger door, and he takes her legs, and he bends them up and over, like, behind her head. And he began to violently rape her anally. So he violently removed himself and then violently put himself in her vagina. <sighs> and in my head, I am screaming, oh my God, UTI, UTI, UTI. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's the first thought that popped into my head. Yeah. He told her <laughs> that the more she screamed and cried, the more it turned him on. He sounds like a horrible human being. He's not great. She was explaining that her cervix and ribs felt bruised, so he probably didn't have a tiny penis. I was thinking maybe he was fat and laid on top of her. Just disappointing. <laughs> so yeah. he he really... <sighs> Poor woman. She was torn. She was bleeding from her rectum and her vagina. Mm. He then went to the trunk and brought back a cooler, which had a few two-liter bottles of water. And a bottle of Visine, which he filled with rubbing alcohol. Oh, God. He cleaned himself off with the water, and he grabbed the bottle of Visine and told her, this is one of my surprises. Who brings this shit around with them? Don't know. He lifted her legs up and squirted the rubbing alcohol up her anus, mm-hmm. which set her on fire because he had already torn her up. Like So she's ripped, she's bleeding, and he squirts up her Oh, my God. This dude is sadistic. Yeah. Then he did it in her vagina. (laughs) Then he pulled her nose up and poured it up her nose. What? Just for the fun of it? For the fun of it. He said he was saving her eyes for the grand finale and put the visine on the dash. Like, so her hands are still cuffed to the steering wheel and he puts the visine on the dash. Like, Like there's more to come. Yeah, there's more to come. I hate him. I hate him, too. So she was screaming in pain, which she stated he told her was exactly what he was looking for. A creep. Yeah. Then he got a radio out of the trunk and sat on the hood of the car for about an hour, smoking pot, drinking, and listening to music. Her thoughts were racing, and she thought, he's going to kill me. She tried to break loose from the steering wheel, but she could not. Oh, my God. Now it's freezing cold. So she's naked. She's bleeding. She's hurting. He finally stated that he was cold and wanted to get back in the car. So he untied her wrist from the steering wheel and wrapped it around her neck. Oh, as long as you're comfortable, baby, that's all that matters. Yeah. My God. Yeah. And he told her he would kill her if she tried anything funny. So he told her to slide over, move over to the passenger side. He got into the driver's seat. He told her to face him and spread her legs. That's what? so humiliating. Yes. I, I don't even know. Like, why? Why do you need to do this? You've already brutally raped her and yeah. everything. You've everything to her. And now you're going to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-mm. So he was back fully clothed at this point. I guess he was cold and he, he got dressed. And he was still holding the cord around her neck like reins. So she grabbed the cord away from him and threw it in the back seat. So then he grabbed her throat with his hand. She pushed him back with her feet, then spit in his face. Good for you. This pissed him off. Of course it did. And he was like, you're a dead bitch. And she was finally able to reach into her bag, which held a twenty-two pistol. Oh, damn. She aimed it at him and shot twice as fast as she could. She got out of the car, ran around the car to the driver's side, and he started to get out of the car and open it. And she was like, don't get out of the car. But he did, and she shot him a third time. Wow. Good for her. She stated that she didn't want the birds to peck at his body, so she grabbed a blanket or some kind of covering out of the trunk and covered him with it. Then she got his car keys and left. Why is he traveling with so many blankets in his trunk? Why are you worried if the birds are going to pick his eyes? Oh, yeah, that's true. I'd have made it. I'd have totally undressed him and, like, let the birds pick every part of him. So there's got to be some gators around. They're probably hungry. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 
So when she got home, she found that the dogs had torn up the blinds and some other things in the motel. She was afraid that the owner would call the cops and they would see Richard's car. They were moving out that day and everything was boxed up. So she told Ty she was able to borrow a car from a friend and they loaded all their belongings and left. So what a shitty ending to a day. Really? Like you've had no sleep. You've been working all day. Then you get raped and tortured. Yeah. I know whenever I get a hemorrhoid (laughs) that I don't even want to move the next day. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. And now she's got to move a whole apartment, a motel. And she's got to do it before the owner finds out that the dogs chewed up the blinds because Ty's a terrible babysitter. That's right. So Ty questioned the marks on her neck, asking if they were hickeys. Really? Mm -hmm. Is Ty an idiot? I kind of feel like she is. No comment. (laughs) So Eileen brushed it off. After moving all their stuff, she cleaned the inside and outside of the car. She buried the wallet and a few other items and even threw some of his personal items out the car window as she drove. And she finally came clean to Ty, telling her that he raped her and that she killed him in self-defense. She dumped the car and from this point on seemed to be enraged with a newfound hatred for men. Oh, shit. Yeah. So now we get to David Spears. The naked body of David Spears was found on June 1st, 1990 by a surveyor in the woods in Citrus County, Florida. David was a 43-year-old heavy equipment operator from Bradenton, Florida. He went missing May 19th, 1990. He was shot six times in the torso with a 22 caliber pistol. His truck was found on May 20th on I-75 with doors unlocked and the plates missing. In her testimony, all Eileen had to say about David Spears was, I thought, what the hell you think you're doing, dude? You know, you know, I, I'm going to kill you because you were going to try to do whatever you were going to do with me. And I shot him through the, through the door and then he was kind of went back and I went right through the driver's side and shot him again and he fell back. And that's all I remember on that one. Oh, wow. So she didn't even get in the truck before she started shooting? I don't even know. He Well, he was naked. Oh. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Maybe he was driving around naked. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, little pervert. Maybe he is a nudist heavy machine operator. Maybe. Maybe that was their uniform. <laughs> Where's your orange vest, damn it? I couldn't see you. Your ass is so white, you glow in the dark. You're you good. You have no proper PPE on. You just have your PPE. <laughs> Having your PPE is not PPE. It does not count. <laughs> so, Charles Carskadden. Is the next victim. So the naked body again of 40-year-old Charles Korsgatton was found on June 6, 1990 around South Pasco County. His body was so badly decomposed that they couldn't get fingerprints even. Dang, these are close. Or estimate his time of death. Yes. That's five days apart that they found the body. She was on a rampage. Wow. So Charles was (laughs) was described as being a decent human being. She stated that his murder, too, was in self-defense, but later admitted to shooting him in cold blood. (laughs) He was shot nine times with a twenty-two. His vehicle was found not far from his body on June 7th. The two sheriff's departments from Citrus and South Pasco counties communicated the similarities with each other on the caliber of pistol used, the naked bodies, the stolen vehicles, like all the similarities. Well, thankfully, they were speaking to each other because I hear all these cases about counties and towns that don't talk to they each do other. do not communicate. And yeah. years later, like, oh, look, all of these were probably connected. If we would have just been friends, we probably would have figured this out sooner. I know. My department does more than your department. I don't need any help. Right. I can do it. I'll do it myself. No. (laughs) Eileen's explanation on Charles was, I shot him in the back, and then I got out and kept shooting. Hmm. All right. Straight to the point. Go ahead. All right, Eileen. Next, we have Peter Sims. This is sad. Peter Sims disappeared on June 7th, 1990. He was a 65-year-old man from Jupiter, Florida, on his way to visit relatives in Arkansas or New Jersey. 
I'm not clear on that because I found several different articles which dispute each other. Like, he was going to Arkansas. No, he's going to New Jersey. Well, whatever. He was going to visit family and friends. Do you think the articles know that these are in exact opposite directions from Florida? No, I don't think they do. Okay. So, this is like one day later. Yeah, what's it say? Like, they found one body on June 1st. They found another one on June... No, June 7th. So, Charles Karsgadden disappeared on June the 6th. Okay. And they found him June the 7th. But they Peter found the Sims, first guy June 1st. Uh, I'm sorry, yes, the first guy, June 1st. And then they found him... Uh, no, he, well, he went missing... May 19th. The first guy went missing May 19th. They found him on June 1st. Okay. Charles Karskaden was found on June 6th. Okay. Then Peter Sims disappeared on June 7th. Man, she was busy. Every damn day. So Peter was a retired merchant seaman. Seaman. (laughs) You said it anyway. You're such a bad girl. And described as being deeply religious. Now, don't you feel bad? Yes, kind of. He was easygoing and a real gentleman. Sadly, his body was never found. What? Never. Oh, man. 65-year-old pawpaw, probably. Poor thing. Eileen was tied to this murder because she stole his car, which was found on July the 4th, 1990, when she and Ty ran the car off the road in Orange Springs, Florida. They got out of the car yelling at each other, throwing beer cans in the woods, and there was a woman sitting on her front porch that saw the entire incident. Oh, you she know was, she loved that. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was like, what the? Sh-? She got on the phone and said, you are not going to believe this. What? Did Johnny's dog poop in your yard again? No. I just saw... Two. A car ran through the ditch. Yes, and they were throwing beer cans, and they were screaming. Shit just got real over here. Betty, you missed it. I told you to come over for coffee. Damn, Betty. Get your shit together, Betty. Get your shit together. Stop being a hermit. <laughs> <laughs> she was going to call the police, but Eileen and Ty begged her not to and ran off leaving the car. Oh, okay. The woman identified Eileen and Ty as the two women leaving the car... And the palm print of Eileen was found on the door handle. So apparently they had composite sketches of these two. And she was like, yep, that's them. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just see two people run a car off the road. Yes. They get in a fight screaming at each other. Yes. They ask you not to call the police so you don't. Oh, oh yeah, that's fine, honey. You go. You, you're fine. Yeah, right? Who's going to do that? Yeah. That's the first thing I'm doing. Yes. Yeah, so. Oh, my gosh. She did call the police, so Thank they God. came out. Like I said, she picked them out of a, a composite sketches or whatever, and she and those they found the palm print of Eileen on the car handle. So their their prints were everywhere. You have up there are really ugly. Well, they're scaring. Anyway, so after wrecking Peter Sims' car, Tyra, or is it Tyria? I don't even care. Left Eileen and moved back home with family in Pennsylvania. She caught on to what was going on. I guess she did. So even though Peter Sims' body was never found, Eileen did confess to killing him. She said that he tried to get the gun from me and stuff, were struggling with the gun and everything else, and a couple of bullets shot up in the air, and I finally ripped it away, and I had the gun in my left hand, and I put it in my right hand, and I shot him immediately. I'm guessing she was right-handed. Jesus. Like, I had the gun, we're fighting, it accidentally went off. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such an inconvenience. Right. Oh, Eileen. Next victim. Next runner-up. <laughs> Eugene Troy Burris. You don't want to win this one. No. The price is not right. Mm-hmm. Eugene Troy Burris was the fifth victim of Eileen Warnos. Burris was a 50-year-old delivery driver for Gilchrist Sausage. Go ahead. Make your little <laughs> make your little joke. He had a sausage. Was he, he was a traveling sausage man. Did he lay the sausage down? He would lay it down. He would pick it up. Okay. He would move it around. I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, Mr. Sausage Man. Go, go talk to Chrissy about his sausage. <laughs> He was a hard-working individual and respected member of his community. His wife reported him as having a large sausage. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, ma'am, can you please describe your missing husband to us? Okay. Between his... No, ma'am. Between his legs, there's this large protuberance. (laughs) Protuberance. Or protuberance. What do they call that when you have something poking out? Protruding. (laughs) I just made up my own medical term. Protuberance. (laughs) Cannot. I made my own medical term up, Kelly. Cannot. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Okay, continue. Okay. 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 His wife reported him missing on July 30th, 1990. His vehicle was found with no keys and no sign of the individual. It wasn't until August 4th that his badly decomposed body was found by a family out for a picnic in the Ocala National Forest. What a lovely family outing. It was horrible. That's terrible. His body was badly decomposed, but his wife identified his sausage. (laughs) His wife identified his wedding ring. He was killed by two shots with a 22 caliber pistol, once in the chest and once in the back. Eileen's comment about Burris, he physically attacked me and he was, he laughed. And then I think I shot him right in the stomach or something. She could not really, she had no communication skills whatsoever. Like her, her, like by this point, she's got to be getting all of them mixed up. I mean, this is a lot in just a couple months. Yep. I know we're going to hoot nanny for this one. Oh, I'm ready. Charles Dick Humphreys. (laughs) Dick Humphrey. So we go from sausage to To dick. dick. She's moving up. Moving up with the gang. All right. All right. Charles Dick Humphreys was 56 years old when he faced the damsel of death. At a strip club. She was not a damn stripper. Damn it. Humphreys was a family man dedicated to his work. He was a retired Air Force major, police chief in Alabama, and Florida child abuse investigator. Oh, wow. He celebrated his 35th wedding anniversary on September the 10th and was reported missing on September the 11th. Oh, my gosh. 35 years of being married. Oh, and he went missing the day after the 35 years. That's so sad. 9-11 is a terrible day. Yeah, it really is. All the way around. Unlike the other men, Humphreys was found on September the 12th in 1990, fully clothed with six gunshots to his head and torso in Marion County. The weapon was a 22 caliber pistol. His car was found in late September in Swanee County. Man. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Walter Gino Antonio. Walter Antonio was the seventh and last victim of Eileen Warnos. Thank God. Antonio was a truck driver who also worked as a police officer in the reserves. He suffered four shots by a 22 caliber pistol in the back and the head. Oh, damn, like execution style. Yes. His body was found on November 19th, 1990 in Dixie County. That's my birthday. Oh, it sure is. Oh, my gosh. Well, they found his body, so it was a good day for the family. They got There's some a lot closure. of bad stuff that happens on November 19th. Yeah, let's don't. No. The coroner determined that he was dead less than 24 hours. His car was found five days later in Brevard County. Man. Mm-hmm. So Eileen's rampage came to an end on January the 9th, 1991, two months after her last kill. Police arrested her on a warrant at the last resort biker bar in Volusia County, Florida. I bet those bikers felt lucky that they didn't pick her up. Oh, I bet. Authorities approached Tyra Moore the next day and offered her immunity in exchange for her testimony. Mm-mm. She gladly accepted. So they set her up in a motel room in Daytona, instructed her to call Eileen and Jill until Eileen admitted her crimes. Ty made 11 calls in total, planning to be terrified of being charged with the murders. Eileen asked her if she was being recorded, and Ty replied that she was not. Yes, you're in prison. Yeah. All the calls are recorded. Are they? Yes. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. So, Eileen. This is why you don't quit school at 15. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, well, I didn't know, and I didn't quit school at 15. Oh, this is why you watch more Dateline this. and Oxygen. Okay. Okay. All so, calls are recorded in prison. Okay, we got that. That's my PSA for the day. All right. Okay, sorry. Continue. So, Eileen said, you're innocent. I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, if I have to confess, I will. On January the 16th, Eileen did confess to the murder of Richard Mallory, but claimed self-defense. Here we get a little weird. Oh, gosh. It's a weird little fact. Okay. 
On November the 21st, 1991, Arlene Prell, a 44-year-old born-again Christian, and her husband legally adopted 35-year-old Eileen Warnos. Why? Mind blown. Don't know. I would love to adopt an adult in prison. <laughs> right? What, and what I are expect, the benefits of that? I expect a really good Mother's Day card. <sighs> Putting it out there. That's all I want. I think they should have crayons and paper. I would hope so. Arlene said she saw her picture in a newspaper, and there was something about her eyes. She wrote to Eileen, built up a friendship, started phone conversations, and even visited her in prison. She said the Holy Spirit prompted them to help Eileen so she would know what it felt like to be part of a family. Now, if that were true, that would be the most wonderful thing that a human being could possibly do. You know that penitentiary that Arlene's dad or Eileen's dad was in? Yeah. Arlene should go there. The mental place? Yep. Arlene sounds mental. Not many people see a picture of a woman in prison in the newspaper and it's like, you know what? Jesus wants me to adopt you. Yeah, I think Arlene had... Adult woman. <laughs> she had other intentions, I think. Okay, but Arlene, there are plenty of children out there mm-hmm. that need to be adopted. A 35-year-old woman in prison does not need to be adopted by you. No. So, that being said... Eileen actually agreed to it, thinking that there would be somebody to care for her body after her death. I guess, like, go leave flowers at the grave or whatever. So, Arlene says, with all the book and movie deals. Oh. uh Eileen didn't want money for herself, but that they could really use it to pay off the Prell's form. Insert eye roll here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of making me sick to my stomach a little bit. I know. Now I can only find like where the Prells accepted $10,000 for an interview, and she used some of that money for a new attorney for Eileen. How thoughtful. But I don't know. Maybe she got more. Maybe she didn't. She probably sold some pictures to those tabloid magazines. Maybe. Probably. Sold a story or two. So Eileen began to suspect that Arlene was just using her and her story for money and discontinued the relationship. I could not find anything on if the adoption was actually nullified or anything. Eileen, I agree with you. I do too. Only thing I agree with you about so far, but mm-hmm. continue. The trial for the murder of Richard Mallory began January the 14th, 1992, one year after her arrest. Eileen pled not guilty that it was in self-defense. Even though this trial was about Richard Mallory, the judge allowed the evidence of the six other murders, but did not allow evidence of the records from the correctional institution where Mallory was held from the criminal charge of assault with intent to rape. That's not fair. It is not fair. And I, like I said before, I do believe that it was self-defense. I do believe that Richard Mallory raped her in every way possible. Yeah, that was a lot. People can't make that shit up. Yeah, I do not believe she was guilty for that. So the judge also denied her request for a retrial based on the evidence. Mm -hmm. No. In January 27th, 1992, the jury found Eileen guilty of first-degree murder. When the verdict was announced, Eileen became upset and shouted to the jury, I'm innocent. I was raped. I hope you get raped, scumbags of America. Well, that couldn't do much for helping with the sentencing. January 31st, 1992, Eileen Warnos was sentenced to death for the murder of Richard Mallory. Hmm. You know that pig did everything to her that she said. Yep. I think so. I think so, too. You can argue in the comments. You're free to do so. Just don't be ugly. Yeah, we don't want anybody to be nasty or ugly or mean to us because we will never be mean to you. So on March 31st, 1992, Eileen pled no contest to the murders of Charles Humphreys, Troy Barres, David Spears, saying that she wanted to get right with God. In court, she said, I wanted to confess to you all that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but these others did not. They only began to start to. No, come on, Eileen. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably pulling a little stretch there. Yeah. But I don't know. I wasn't there. May the 15th, 1992, she was given three more death sentences. I feel like she had some PTSD. I feel like Richard she had Mallory. major and PTSD. How can you be killed four times? 
No, I guess if the first, if the first so three, can, if like the first if, three don't. If the governor pardons you three times, you still have that fourth one there. Yeah, it's still like hanging. Look, I can do three. Hanging fourth, in the bowels. I can't. I can't pardon you four times. <gasps> I'm sorry. In June of 1992, Eileen pled guilty to the murder of Charles Carskadden, and in November of 1992, received her fifth death sentence. Wow. In February 1993, she pled guilty of the murder of Walter Antonio and received her sixth death sentence. Damn. No charges were brought against her for the murder of Peter Sims since his body was never found. But did she confess to his too? Or they just assumed since it was a man in well, the area that she Well, she said, she yeah, I mean, she, she was like... That's the one where they found she, her palm print on the car, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. But they never found her, his body, so they couldn't convict her of murder oh, because no he body, was never no found. Crime. Yeah, no body, no crime. <laughs> Eileen hated being on death row. From 1993 to 2002, her defense attorneys tried to overturn her death sentences, which were repeatedly denied. She fired her defense team, dropped all of her appeals, and asked to be put to death. She told CNN, There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. Wow. Yeah. Please don't ever release her from prison. That's a lot. That is a lot. A lot of hate. Eileen Wuornos' fight was finally over on October the 9th, 2002. She was offered a last meal but declined it for a cup of coffee. I would have asked for an Eminem Sonic Blast. Oh, my God. Yes, I want one so bad now. Yeah, me too. That's what I would get for my last meal. A Reese's Peanut Butter Blast. Yep. Ice cream. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, well, she didn't. She just had a cup of coffee. Mm. Good old cup of joe. Her final words were, I'd like to say I'm sailing with the rock, and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus June 6th. Like the movie, the big mothership and all, I'll be back. I have no idea what she's referencing. Independence Day was the movie about aliens on Earth with Will Smith. I never saw that. I think Tommy Lee Jones. I could be wrong on that. Was Jesus in the movie? No, Jesus was not in the movie. Okay. Still confused. (laughs) Same. She was executed by lethal injection, and she left this world just as she was most of her life alone. A few of Eileen's quotes were... Oh, this should be good. "Mm -hmm." Okay. They say it's the number of people I killed. I say it's the principle. Wow. That's one. That's, That's great. Here's another. If you can't be a good example, at least be a horrible warning. Would I get in trouble if I added that as the signature in my company email? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Or how about this one? Dead men don't rape. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. (laughs) Yeah. Whoever was cellmates with this woman probably heard some crazy shit. Yeah. And the way, like, I've seen some of her interviews, if you go to YouTube and you can, I mean, you can Google Eileen Wuornos. And it's like she's crazy. I Like, her eyes are huge. Like, you see the whites on the top of her, oh. of her, you know, her, her iris. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, like, got her head leaned back and everything. And she's very, she's a lot. <laughs> She sounds like a lot. She She scares me. She scares me too. I'm scared. So, yeah. So we appreciate you listening. And we hope that you join us next week for our next episode of A Bitch Who Is Unwell. Unwell.